Hello, this is Toby Haydock's Who's Round, in the name of the Father and of the Son, and I suppose of the Holy Spirit as well, as that's what some people considered Agador to be. Lovely. We'll just go for it. So uh, it's a lovely sunny day in Stratford-upon-Avon, and I'm meeting a gentleman who's now going to tell me uh, who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Uh, Hello, my name is David Troughton. We're sitting in the dirty duck in Stratford-upon-Avon, of which um, in my earlier years I spent a lot of time here (laughs) after shows. And um, yes, I've been in Doctor Who four times, I think. Well, we were just discussing not your television debut, but your uh, cl- close enough has just close been enough. has just been discovered in a cupboard. Exactly, and I, I'm hit by Fraser Hines, who I was only with the other day. So, and he got quite tearful actually about my father because um, they had a fantastic time, and he tells some wonderfully funny stories about my father, and you know, drying and fluffing, and they just laugh. And no, I think it had a Really, he had a really good time, but he was always terrified of becoming typecast. By then, <coughs> um, in those days, if you did one part for more than a year, that was death. Nowadays, you have to do a part for more than a year <coughs> to get another job. It seems to me. Yes, it's a very different it's landscape. It's completely reversed the situation. Yeah, but that was so. You, how, how so? What happened? Did your did your father had a word and said, uh, "Oh, can you?" He was in the holidays. It was a holiday job. He said, oh, go on, give him a little extra job. And um, because I'd always um, met my dad at studios. That's why I love film studios and and television studios. My wife, Ali, loves the theatre because her father was um, deputy director of the Glasgow Academy. But um, I always saw my father in a studio and... uh, so he thought it was a very good idea that I just had a little job, a little extra job. But were you always going to act? I mean, was that... Um, I think so, yes. I mean, I always tell the story that I was going to be a stuntman because I met Peter Diamond. <laughs> and um, I just loved all that, the stories he told. Um, and it was rather nice because I met him oh, late 50s, probably, on a studio set. And... Uh, and then in 85, when I was doing very peculiar practice, he doubled for me, driving this old clapped-out Fiat that had to go round a corner very fast. So nice. that was rather nice, yeah. Um, but that didn't last long, the uh, wanting to be a stuntman. Um, and then I sort of... I was going to go to university and do... I wanted to do um, industrial revolutionary history. I love the Victorian theory, I still do. I'm fascinated by how people lived in those days. Um, and then I thought, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do another exam in my life. So I went down to the Northcott Theatre Exeter with Tony Church, or the established church, we call him. <laughs> and um, that was my first essay onto the boards in a documentary play about the Monmouth Rebellion. And that was where I learnt to the love of talking directly to an audience because my part was a young soldier after the battle and he speaks to the audience directly. 
which I loved, and Corpse, <laughs> uh, which I loved too. Because you've got to have fun. You've got to have fun when you're doing it. If you take it too seriously, it just becomes, you know, worrisome rather than enjoyable. Well, you mentioned that your father and Fraser had fun playing uh, the Doctor and Jamie and, and doing the show. But uh, speaking to your brother Michael, he said that your father was actually very nervous as an actor. It terrified. Terrified. He'd be sick before theatre shows. That's why he didn't do theatre. When I, I did um, Peter Pan at the National, I played Captain Hook. And I did it mainly because I thought my father had been offered Peter Pan and Captain Hook countless times and all he said no I didn't want to do it um, too many costume changes but beneath that bravura humour about it I think um, theatre was terrifying to him he didn't like a live performance and which was ironic because Doctor Who a lot of them were or the early televisions were live if you did a repeat in the 50s you did the thing again <laughs> you didn't record it no um I think he liked the insular nature of television, the, the compact nature, and there wasn't a live audience that he could see. Um, he never even saw me on stage because he was too nervous, he said, even to watch his own son, which I thought rather, which was rather odd, but um, that was him. So uh, It's a good yeah. job television came along when it did then, because he didn't... No, he was, <laughs> absolutely. He was the, his repertory theatre was television. He used to, you know, go from show to show. In the old days, he got into the BBC, the new BBC building as then, which is no more now. Um, he'd go up in the lift, he'd go round, it's all in a round, and all the offices were next to each other, all the director, he'd knock on the door, uh, Patrick Trapp, anything for me? No, right, Patrick Trapp, anything for me? That was how they did it then. You imagine doing that now, you wouldn't <laughs> even get past the door. Um, and he used to write postcards, blank postcards, saying, Patrick Trown, available from diddly-doo, and send about 100 out each time he was out of work. He was terrified of being out of work. Well, he had to be, because he had three, well, two families then. Um, and, yeah, he said if one of them got him a job out of 100, that was worth it. Well, so he was very old-fashioned in that way of do-it-yourself, getting it done by yourself. Um, which you were allowed to do then. I mean, try doing that now, you know. What do you do now? You have to go and put your face on video for two minutes and you never meet the director and you never see that video again. What happens to all these videos? <laughs> Someone's got an archive. Someone's got an archive of crap performance, nervous actors doing <laughs> terrible little scenes that they have no idea what the script's about. You just get the scene. Um, well, of course, we've worked together yet never met. I mean, that's a... That's absolutely. A, 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 a Casualty 1907. There's yeah. another show that I thought was brilliant. And loads of other people did, too. Everyone was saying, when are they doing a new series? No. So, having done uh, a, a brief stint uh, in The Newly Recovered Enemy of the World, you then get a nice, meaty face-off with evil David Garfield mm. in uh, in The War Games, in your dad's last the story. The War Games, Yes. Well, that was his last story, and so another, you know... When was that? That was... 69. The War Games, 69. Yeah. I'd just left school, yeah. Six, no, 67 I left. So I was two years an actor. Yeah, so it was bona fide. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
just happened to know the uh, the lead actor. That's all. <laughs> um, yeah, that was good. That was good. And I've recently read the story for audio. Yeah, that was a nightmare. How many blooming voices and yeah. accents? Cool. How's your Mexican? Hey, yeah, I saw that. But um, yeah, I had about four Mexicans. That's the difficult thing to do. Four different Mexicans. Yeah. It's easy to I've do. Got one, one Mexican. Yes. <laughs> four different Mexicans. Yeah. Um, no, that was enjoyable. I can't remember much about it. Um, it's quite a nice little character scene. Yes. Yes. And mm. having a bit of a fight with Graham Weston and. Uh, That's right, mm. Graham Weston. Who's when we used to play cricket, when I used to play, used to play sometimes for our, for our team called the Weekenders, which is still going strong. And um, he'd always arrive with his car, he'd open the boot, and there'd be a bar in his boot. <laughs> what would you like, he said. <laughs> he had everything. Have bar, will travel. You weren't on the commentary for The Curse of Peladon. Was, was that the first part you were offered? Um, yes, I think so. I, uh, whether I went to see Lenny Main, because in those days he went to see the actual director, <laughs> not producer, casting lady, associate producers, all that. Um, I think it must have been, yeah. And uh, it was a sort of very serious story. It wasn't, you know, it was a lot of acting had to be done. It wasn't just, look out, run. It was, you know, love affair with the yeah. princess and, um, yeah, struggling with power and, you know, being thrust upon at an early age. It was very good. Yeah, and you yeah. love your vision in purple. Oh, God. My <laughs> little thigh boots. I love them. Yes. Um, and I still remember, I met Sonny yeah. Um, the other day. He lives in Spain now. He's a bit limp and lame, but he's still enormous. <laughs> Alan Benyon, I don't know what happened to him. He Alan. lives in Brighton. He lives still in Brighton, going, yeah. good. He's Anne Churchman. Yeah, she's still, she's, she's still about. <laughs> yeah. The voice, yes. Arcturus. Um, he was a little, little guy. Murphy, Murphy Grumbar was inside, yeah. And Stuart yeah. Fell was Stuart inside Fell. Uh, Alpha Centauri, right. yeah. There were some funny moments, bumpy moments with those <laughs> in the because the sets were tiny, um, except for the big hall with all the flambos oh, lighting yes. the area. And I do remember there was Grun, who was yes. who was a, an actor, but then there was um, can't mustn't call them extras anymore. Supporting artist, supporting artist. Well, on my right, who was quite big and butch and had no top and bronzed. My, one of my bodyguards, and there was a fight when um, Hepesh tries to take over. Um, in one of the takes, there was a lot of sword fighting, a lot of... And suddenly, this man, this man got too near the fire of the flambo, and this bloke, right in the middle of a take, said, Oh, look out, do man the fire! <laughs> Which sort of... <laughs> Um, deflated the um, <laughs> the drama of the scene somewhat. Yeah. And Lenny Main seems to have been quite a Lenny character. Lenny Main, God, what a lovely man. I did um, a mutual friend with him uh, later. And then he drowned in that awful accident. No, he was a special man. He was just... He loved it. He loved all of... You know, he was Australian and he loved, you know... Loved the whole thing and made it fun and... 
And what, what about Pertwee, who... Uh, who was Mr Pertwee, he was marvellous, yeah, very kind, very... Um, yeah, he took it really seriously, he did. And Katie, mad Katie. <laughs> there was a um, rumour, I think, that we were having a slight... Not an affair, but a, you know, going out. I did go out with her once. Um, we saw Godspell, I remember. But that was it, really. Yes. Ah, so there we are, River Mill. And then, you see, the day... Well, not the day after that. Quite soon after that, I met my wife in a show. And she had seen uh, the show and know, so knew who I was, but didn't know that my father... Was Doctor Who, Patrick. So she was going, oh, yes, oh, but my favourite Doctor, of course, was Patrick Troughton. And she got home that night and realised, uh-oh, <laughs> I just told the son he must think I'm a right plonker. So I said, yes. <laughs> it was a terrible play, I remember. But um, no, we met and we've still, still going still after do. 40 years. Unlike your father, you've divided... Your time sort of between telly and theatre. From he famously didn't like shouting in the evening. No, nope, he you've hated done a, it. You've done a lot of it in some of the the, the, the greatest so theatres of the country. Our careers have gone a completely different way. But as I said, um, television has changed. Um, I can't get arrested in television at the moment. Um, it is a place. It's cliquey. Um, you have to have done, as I said, I think um, a soap get on um, to be known you have to be more of a celebrity actor than actors because when you go there is no such thing as I think now on television character actors which my father was you know you don't dress up anymore put on a beard you get someone who has a beard mm. um, so that sort of theatrical aspect of television has totally gone it's more real it's got to be you know no makeup you know no wigs wigs oh no so um, theatre is, I suppose, um, where you can do more of that. But I joined the RSC. That was my biggest um, change in direction in the early 80s. Um, I'd only done one Shakespeare before on television, part of the Cedric Messina. Mm. And there's a funny story about that, that Cedric Messina was an enormously large man with an enormous ego... I think, and uh, wanted his name bigger on the credits. So people who didn't like him said, OK, Cedric Messina, here we go. And as the credits came up, they were so big, his name came up as Edric Messin. <laughs> <laughs> so we, that was rather fun. So what, what is it about... Shakespeare, which, you you know, you've you played leading roles for the RSC, but I remember you reading Castis back then, you were sort of Ross and the Porter in the Scottish... So yeah, you that was my good. first... Yeah, my first two jobs were Conrad in Much Ado and Ro, um, Ross in Macbeth. So um, that's, that's, I mean, that's a good, that's a good character yeah, to, to... That is, but doing them part. at the same time, rehearsing them at the same time, which you did, was a nightmare. I didn't know where I was. You'd be in one room doing a morning on Much Ado and then the afternoon you'd be with Howard Davis and lovely Bob Peck doing Macbeth and there was one call rehearsal call I got because uh, Terry Hans was a bit like that um, I'd been on in an actual performance as Ross 
And in my bit off, I went in and rehearsed in a rehearsal room, much ado, in my costume as I was performing. So then I did my rehearsal and then went back to Then went back Macbeth. to England to Malcolm. Unbelievable. <laughs> Goodness me. Yeah. But you so, stayed, you stayed, you, you, you were shaking did. your head, but yes, you stayed. Yes, because um, we moved up here and uh, every, every year Terry Hans would get actors in and say, you know, how, are you, you know, how was it I'm really doing? He said, oh, you've moved up here, I hear, David. Well, you'll never work for the RSC again. So I was determined to put it right. So I did work for them a lot, yes. Favourite parts? Favourite parts? Um, uh, well, I think Caliban um, and Venetian Twins, which was the same year. And then I did those two in two years, and then for the next two years I did King Richard, I did Devil is an Ass, and I did The Cherry Orchard. And that, those five plays in the mid-90s, I think, were, you know, I got somewhere. I knew what I sort of wanted to do with Shakespeare. And then in 2000, I did um, production of Richard II, playing Bolingbroke, and then went on to play Henry in the, was the histories. And um, that was fantastic production in the other place, which is just 150 people in a bank of seats in a white box and we did Richard II and you were able to talk to as I said before I love talking directly because I believe every monologue in Shakespeare is a dialogue with the audience um, and there was one night where well every night I had to get them to stand up because I was I'd taken over as king and um, one night there was Prince Charles in there and I got him to stand up, which was rather a yeah. weird moment. <laughs> I could see him turning to um, thingy, what's her name? Um, Camilla. Camilla. Saying, well, I suppose we'd better. And up he got. <laughs> so that was good. Well, you must have loved playing uh, Richard III then, if you like talking to an audience. Cause yes, he, he absolutely. He does that. He does that a lot. Yes. Um, and it is. I made the audience my alter ego, really. Um, so whenever he wanted comfort he'd talk to the audience and then the ghost speech at the end when he sees all these ghosts and saying what the hell's happening he accuses the audience of letting him down so it was great it was yeah and that's a sort of full circle because your father had been the Laurence Olivier sort of he'd, camera stand-in hadn't that's he? that's right he was, he's in a lot of shots in the film um, yeah he hated Shakespeare though it's funny, isn't it? There was a time when ex-Shakespearean actor Patrick Troughton, and it was weird, because he just, you know, Shakespeare didn't get on with it, I don't think. Are there any um, parts you covet? Um, yeah, I'd like to do Falstaff. I'd like to do The Tempest. Um, but you see, as you get older, um, you think, well, maybe... I'll just do a couple of days filming and get the same amount of money. <laughs> all the lofty ambition. Gives I know, exactly. But I, I did give my all in the 90s to that company. Um, you know, and they employed me, so it was good. But I, I learned a lot. And in the year 2000, where they did the Millennium History Plays, 
that was another great project to be in. I do love being in a company um, and everyone sort of mucking in and I can't stand it when you go into production and it's all been settled for you the, the set the thing the design the, the idea and that was what was so good about Richard um, that uh, no one knew what was happening because we had a white box the whole season there were four plays and all you had was a white box because there was no money right so that was your literal set. blank canvas yeah blank canvas so you had to use your imagination um, so well the last uh, Doctor Who that you did must have been a bit more like a company than most television because it was almost like a stage play within You've done your research well, I yes, just watched Doctor I Who a lot. Um, <laughs> yes, and thereby hangs a tale because I wasn't meant to be in that. Um, Sam Kelly was going to play Professor Hobbs. Uh, but about a week before he was due to start filming, he was crossing the Strand in London and was run over by a, a car that was doing a U-turn illegally and drove off and he broke both his legs. And you never got caught. I never got <laughs> caught. I did send him a card saying thank you for the part and do get better soon. <laughs> no, because uh, we, you know, I'd done radios with Sam and Ali. My wife knew him way back when. Um, no, that was sad. But I did Professor Hobbs with two days' notice. Right. So one day I was, uh, what was I doing? I don't know. I was out of work just before Christmas, thinking, God, I hate Christmas because it's so expensive. And the next I was in Cardiff. So that was weird. That was weird. And we spent two weeks in one set, which, as you say, it was more like being in the theatre. We did go a bit stir-crazy. Yeah. D31 <laughs> in the spaceship. Um, yeah, but it was a good story. Yeah. Well written, well acted. And, uh, yeah. It's very spooky, is it? It is, because you don't see the monster. No. That's what's so good. I, that's what's so... I mean, apart from the Daleks, maybe, and the Cybermen, possibly, but whenever you see monsters, I think, you know, I don't want to know. I want to imagine them rather than... Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it must have been quite intensive for, for David Tennant. And for um, Leslie, Leslie Sharp. Leslie Sharp, yeah. And for the sound men, because that was difficult, technically, the soundscape for that to be speaking at the same time but doing it in different shots and then marrying the sound and for them to learn pi to the umpteenth you know number that was a feat in itself yeah like learning telephone directory um but David by then I mean I think when you you're in a show he'd done it for what two three years two years yeah, yeah. you get into you know you can learn lines you know, in the car, going to set. Um, you get into that ilk. And I always remember one note he got. One note from, well, funnily enough, Alison Troughton, which is my wife's name, but she was directing it. Not my wife. Um, and she said, David, um, I think maybe, you know, this little bit here, um, we need to slow down a bit because it's a lot of information and, you know... Um, maybe you could talk a bit. Nope, Doctor speaks quickly. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can do that when you've been the leading yes, man for three years. I think so. <laughs> and I think he was right. Who gives us monkeys about, you know, the actual information? 
it's a sort of technical job will do. But, uh, yeah. And uh, so d- your father, John Pertwee, and um, David Tennant aren't the only doctors you've encountered because you were in a marvellous series as Bob Buzzards, the uh, very peculiar practice mm. with another doctor, Peter Davison. I know. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And I shared a flat with the third, with, co- with, with Colin. sixth doctor. Yeah. Yes. Who was my best man. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Weird. So do you, are you fond of the show? I am. Yeah, I don't... I have to say... Hand on heart, I haven't watched it a lot recently. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, well, to have... To make the comeback that it has was remarkable, having not been on the television for... And then for someone to say, let's bring Doctor Who back and make it more modern and more of today, which I think it... it did a you know did very well. The only thing I don't didn't like about Matt Smith one. I mean, doctors don't fall in love. I'm sorry, they've got two hearts. They can't. Um, they mustn't fall in love. Sex must not enter anywhere near Doctor Who. I don't think. But that's just my opinion. Well, and I'm glad that they've gone for a slightly older Doctor mm. and not Kowtow because television is a young young thing at the moment, lots of young people. Yeah. There are stories about young people. Which is weird, isn't it? Because when you're if BBC or television is trying to attract young viewers, why? Why don't young viewers go out at night and experience life instead of sitting in front of the television? It's people my age that need the television mm. and sit at home drinking a nice glass of red wine. Um, so put things on that we like. Yeah, so why, I mean, why, we talked about that sort of different landscape. Why do you think it is that television has changed? One, that there's so little drama being made and... Uh... Money. Money and Thatcher. Thatcher altered the whole televisual picture with privatising all those companies, you know, sell, selling them to the cheapest bidder. Right. In, the, in the old days, in the old days, <laughs> the 60s and the 70s, you know, they were really good you know, biting stuff, attacking things. And and Thatcher sort of, I think, just levelled it all out. And, you know, money was the important thing in her society. And you've got things like Dallas and, you know, imports like that. It was just, it blended it all out. Well, do you have fond memories of uh, Peculiar Practice? Because that was, I do. Uh, that was a, yes. a great part. And a... It was a fantastic part and fantastic writing. And Andrew Davis um, was just so brilliant. It was about the only thing at that time that was anti-establishment, really. Um, Ken Riddington, who produced it, had no idea what it was all about and what, he, what gold he had. Um, had that been done now, and it still could be in its form, uh, it would have to be all on film and a bit slicker. But um, I think it still stands up well um, in the storyline and in what it was trying to say about society via the NHS. Um, especially the second series when it went a bit mad with the American vice chancellor. But that's happening now, you see. It hasn't stopped. A very prophetic series. Well, Graham Crowden sadly mm. died now, but he was the most wonderful. 
We always used to have rehearsals. Will you take a wee dram? <laughs> so I used to pop round to his house. Because he lived... When I stay in London, I stay with my sister when I'm working. So I was down there, and he lived up the hill. So it was a short walk to his house. And, and then Barbara Flynn, of course. Yeah. Wonderful Barbara. She was second casting. Really? Yeah. Um, there was a young actress who was cast, and we did about three episodes. And then, as happens, you know, I just felt she was very good, but she just didn't know why it was funny. And I think you've got to know why it's funny, not play it, but you've got to appreciate where the funny things come in. Yeah. Um, and so there was a mutual thing, so we had to refill. Oh, crikey. Yeah. Crikey. So, it's a tough business, isn't it? It is. It happened to me. Um, Rings on their fingers. Do you oh, remember yeah. a series? Of yeah. I did the pilot. I did the pilot. Thank God I didn't do the rest because it went on for years, didn't it, with um, Mr. Voiceover. Martin Jarvis. Martin Jarvis. And that yeah, was you? That was me. And I didn't mind, you know, obviously it was upsetting at the time and saying, you did very well and good, but we're going a different way. Thanks. And then, But then Martin Jarvis pinched all my biz in one episode. I thought that was a bit much. But, um, yeah. So it happens, you know. It is. It's a not, cruel business. Do you not think then I'll never work again? Um, yes, you do for a bit. Um, I think that now. <laughs> um, oh dear me, forty what years in the profession? It never gets any easier. Really? Because really? as an actor, you know, I look at someone like you and think, oh, well, you just must be being offered stuff all the time. And... Absolutely not. No. Are so you? Please give us a job. <laughs> Um, uh, are you like your dad? Are you are you a nervous actor, or are you, have you have you done enough now that you think, oh no, I'm, I can do this? Um, it depends. It depends how confident you are in your play. Um, why do we get nervous? Why? Because what we might forget our lines. Because there are people out there writing about us. Those are the only two things that should make you nervous, or not. If you don't give a monkey's about forgetting your lines and you don't care about critics, then you can go into a show and say, look, I'm a human being. I'll forget my lines sometimes. Um, yeah. But just do. Be the part. Do the part. Do and you read the critics? No. Ali reads them and gives me the best bits. <laughs> My father has always said, just read the best bits. So, yeah. Who wants to know? I, I stopped when I got a crit. I did a cricket play at the Shaw Theatre. And it was set in a, in a cricket net in South Africa. And there was a bowling machine in the wings who were supposed to be young black um, cricketers. And I was an English white cricketer going out illegally to South Africa and coaching them. And uh, what was I going to say? Um, Talking about reading critics. Uh, yes. And um, I got one crit from the sports writer of The Guardian, not even a tele, you know, theatre critic. And he said, David Troughton, about as wooden as the Duncan Fernley bat he held. And so I, I thought, well, after that, I don't want to know. <laughs> 
my children were incensed. I'm going to write to him, Daddy. I'm going to write. Because that's more about he's come up with a, an apt phrase. Yes, and also we slagged off Ian Botham in it a lot, and he was a great friend of Ian Botham. So, you know, there are probably were issues there, but what's he know about acting anyway? But, I mean, the cricket uh, link is an interesting one because uh, mm. it's my other passion, actually. Yes, and, uh, so your, your, your dad was doctor and your son's played cricket for England. That's not bad. Not bad, yes. My middle son, Jim, who's captain of Warwickshire. He did uh, very well on my Telegraph fantasy cricket team for me this year, I'll have you know. Did he? Yeah. Now, usually, people who put him in their fantasy team, he does absolute <laughs> um, Well, he's been out injured since June with a back injury, so... Maybe it was you. That's why. Well, I did it, did I? Yes. Um, anyway, I'm glad he did in the fantasy cricket. Um, no, they won the championship last year. And uh, it was it's his benefit this year. So that's a thing, isn't it? Why can't actors have benefits? Yeah. <laughs> that would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Just put, I mean, we put on a show every year here at the Courtyard Theatre. Used to be the Swan. And we get full houses. It's a charity thing at Christmas, just a laugh, a song and a tear on the subject of Christmas. And we've been doing it for over 25 years. If you could put that on and say it's just for me, no one would come there, would no. they? That's the trouble. No. Even with a benefit, you have to say he's got three charities that is associated with his benefit. Yeah. Uh, it is rather weird putting a £20 note into a raffle and you know it's going to your son. Um, so there's a lot of payback I think because we've supported a lot of his events yes a new play cricket Um, I did uh, with the weekenders Um, David and Clive Swift um, started it we just used to meet on Hampstead Heath and play on the fields there with about eight other pitches so um, I think I'm the only man to have caught two people out in two different matches on the same boundary because <laughs> I caught one and then someone said look out and I see other cricket match had, the batsman had hit it in my direction so I caught him as well so yeah there's a lot of um, listeners from across various ponds who may wonder what it is about cricket that we English like what do you think it is because it's a very it's a very English pastime it is a very English pastime it is uh, a team game but everyone in it is out for themselves it's because you have to do well yourself to get the team doing well but there's a lot of selfish cricketers who don't give a monkeys about the team but still are in the team because that is their psyche and they can do well for the team um, there's a, you know, a couple of England cricketers I could mention that are rather like that. Um, but they are necessary components of a team. And I think that's what makes it such a great game. Um, it's slow, yes. and it, But there is a, a narrative through it that you can follow even when it's boring. You can find things to think about and wonder about and... You know, why is he doing that? Why is that fielder there? Why, you know, uh, it's just a fascinating game. Well, I've exceeded my time that I promised to take of yours, so I'll just wind up. But I can't speak to somebody that's worked at the RSC for so many, um, such a long period of time in so many plays, and not ask who are the Shakespearean actors that you've worked with that you that you sort of admired. That you did you do you learn from your fellow actors? And... Um, you do, yeah, especially when I first joined the RSC and I had no idea what 
you know, Shakespeare was all about because I hadn't done it. Um, I do remember Bob Peck playing Maccas. Um, <laughs> he would always say, you see, there's a rhythm, you know, iambic pentameter. And, you know, if you have a half line um, and then another half line, you have to continue that line so it makes one one rhythmic line. So one person would say half a line and the other person would chip in with the next bit. And then um, on stage, it was totally different because he <laughs> would pause and pause and pause. So those are the sort of things you think, you learn. And you watch. Derek Jacobi, I watched a lot. He was very, um, well, clever. And um, who else? Well, the, the greatest fun I had was with John Nettles, me, Robin Nedwell, and, and it was a, a Ben Johnson. And God, we were sent out of rehearsals once by the director because we were laughing so much. <laughs> and then one night, one afternoon, matinee, John Nettles was getting married at about six o'clock. And the RSC wouldn't let him have the matinee off. So we did a show and we cut 25 minutes of the show just by playing speed. And we got him to the church on time. Um, but we had no music cues because the musicians then, it's all live music at the RSC, they did it by timings on their sheet. And no one had told them what we were going to do. So they would arrive always 10 minutes late for their cue. So we had no music. And we'd hear the musicians getting into their position thinking, oh, we missed that cue. What's happened? What's going on? <laughs> so throughout the whole show, there was no music because the musicians always missed their cue. But two people in the audience of that said that was a fantastic show. Wow. See, because you know you get on with it. Yeah. Don't don't linger and you know. Think, I think you know, speed not speed but um, energy is vital in theatre. That's why I always think that you know the Olivier is a, meant to be the most terrible place for vocal projection. Um, it is, if you don't vocally project. And that's what gives theatre, I think, the energy. Because you're seeing a real show, a live show, and it's meant to be real, but it's not. Because you're an audience watching in a theatre. And that in itself is an event. And so you have to be heard. So you will be heightened in your energy in delivery, I think. That's the end of my lecture. I like it. I like it. Well, it just remains for me to ask the two questions, the first of which is, uh, would you like to nominate a charity for me? Yes, um, Cystic Fibrosis. Thank you. Um, because my, my wife's sister died of it. Um, it was called pancreatic fibrosis, and, and the gene was in the family, and we thought our first son might have it, but luckily he didn't. So... Yes, so that's always been our charity. Uh, and we have convened here um, because it's the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who as we speak in about a month's time. Uh, so what is your message to the Doctor Who fans listening out there? Um, message to the Doctor Who fans. Um, keep on enjoying it. Keep on um, the tradition. It's a great tradition, Doctor Who. And I hope it goes on for another 50 years and that there'll be new people to enjoy it and new doctors and um, yeah 
somebody else in 50 years can, can do this. Yes, I've, I've, absolutely. You're our interviewee number 127, I think. Yes. Uh, but what a great one it was. Uh, so I, I just remains for me to say, David Troutman, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Brilliant. I hope that was okay for you. That was fine. Right. Is that okay for you? Yeah. to David's charity, please go to www.cysticfibrosis.org.uk C-Y-S-T-I-C-F-I-B-R-O-S-I-S and donate there if you can. My thanks to Lisa Bowerman again, as ever. Just take her as thanks on pretty much every actor I've interviewed for Who's Red and to Fraser Hines for nudging this one along and to David for his time and for picking me up from the station. Uh, here's a trailer to entice you to listen to the next edition of Toby Haydock's Who's Round. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. I don't think I appreciated at the time what a big show it was to be part of. I just keep on working, you know, and there are really tough times, but I think if you're in it, I always knew when I came into the business that I was going, always wanted to be in it until the day I die. Like tilting axis suggests a spaceship or a space station in orbit around a larger. No, no, no! This is an outrage. Greetings, Doctor. Madam Inquisitor, I protest. Frequently, yes. But he's me, a future version of me. Are you telling me that the Time Lords revisited their own time stream and rewrote the law? Recorders, delete that last section of transcript. Doctor, compose yourself. He's either a future version of me or he's something else. Doctor, we meet again. <laughs>